0: Namotasa Bhagavato Rato Sama Sambudasa Namotasa Bhagavato Rato Sama Sambudasa Namotasa Bhagavato Rato Sama Sambudasa Gudangamang Sangang so this is a thoughts of the New Year, New Year's Eve so the Bar Humbug Brigade can always say New Year Just so what, it's just another moment, it's just another day (laughs) which is one way of looking at it if if that works, great, that brings out the best, that's great. Or <laughs> yeah. well, you can make something of it, mm. if um, useful. Mm. Mm. And people do seem to acknowledge there is such a thing. <laughs> Even though it is in one way just another moment, just another hour, just another evening. Still, notice that quite a few people have come here this evening. And I imagine people are out doing kinds of things. Uh, probably partying or seeing friends or getting drunk or something. So something is being made of this, this occasion. So we might as well make something of it and generally what I uh, recommend making of it is uh, it's like just drawing a line okay? and particularly if your life is just kind of rolling along, tumbling along from this to that as they generally are, they don't have clear lines around them you just make a line, you say well where I am now where, where's it been, where's it going, what am I in it's a kind of up periscope if you see what I mean look around and uh, it gives you a chance to consider broadly and in much in detail uh, what you want to let go of, what you want to develop, what you want to put more into, um, and where, where the good results have been, and so on. So it's just a way of giving oneself guidance. And this is actually something that's uh, very much part of the Buddhist culture, this sense of recollection. Either well, one recollects one's um, errors, or you recollect your virtues. You recollect your your relationships. You recollect your requisites that you really need. So you're always separating what you need from what you want, and you get a sense of some clarity around that. And uh, or what you actually need, depend when you're in a kind of all kinds of things being offered and possible. So it's helpful to recollect. You find out. There's something to do every day, really. You know, what do I need, and what's what's all around? So you get some sense of of um, perspective on the various things that are happening, you know. and you recollect your own um, skills or lack of them. Recollect your death, your mortality, your mortality. So you think, well, actually, you know, that's coming some day or another, maybe sooner than I've reckoned. <laughs> what am i hanging on to here you know what I to, what i want to uh you know, what i want to put down before i die what i want to have finished so these, these are useful things to draw these lines in a new year you can is where you can bring quite a few of these into focus and it helps to shake things around a bit in terms of what your own mental um accumulations are we can also recognise all of us have whole different areas of our of our lives and that, that affect us and that we can affect or have some input into one is which is probably the most commonly emphasised in in this situation is we might say the completely internal meditative level of experience very internal, subjective looking into your own mind and you looking into your mind and seeing what's happening there and, you know, looking at the good or bad thoughts, skillful or unskillful mind states. You, that? There's another one where you consider perhaps you know, how you are in relationship with other people, whether you have friends, enemies, your people you trust, you dislike, you just feel alone all the time, or you... You feel comfortable with people, how that is, you know, it's part of everybody's life, other people. Whether we feel indifferent towards them, fed up with them, want to run away from them, want this one, don't want that one, it happens, it's part of what we're with. So we have this kind of, um, you know, relational experience, other people. We also have this, this own physical, if like, the hard wiring, this very body, <coughs> the clothes, the requisites, the food, the shelter. Which tends to be more that uh, which is emphasized in the in the public domain is make sure you get enough of this stuff, you know, your physical health into your house and your clothes and your car and what you need in that level. That tends to take the priority over maybe internal development. So you this external individual development. And then We have another area which also affects us, which is the kind of social domain, so we can be affected by the 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 country that we 're in, the political ideologies that we live under, the uh, social trends that we're with, whether we feel uh, threatened um, in peril. Imagine if you're living in some place like Baghdad you know. <laughs> how your meditation would be, (laughs) you know, you're living in some place where the, the land is disappearing under the sea because of global warming, you know, you can't exactly cut yourself off from the physical environment, or if you're living somewhere where there's a terrorism or persecution or a lot of fear, you know, totalitarian regime where you might suddenly get whisked off the streets and Interrogated, it definitely affect you. So, we have these domains, don't we? You know, that, that we, with the country or the society, the corporate external domain, and then the you know, physical form, that which we can see, you know, that requisites, then now, if you like, our who we belong to, who we feel connected to, how we find relationships. Individuals, or just being part of a group, family, collective, community, network of friends—that kind of sense of it—and then we have a very internal life, and these are all um, things that affect us. And um, you know, it's good to re- to recognise that really practice is—you try to bring practice, you try to bring practice into all of these, you know, to all of this. Mm. So just because they do all affect you, there's no you know, really point in trying to you know, work on subtle mind states if you're in the middle of a battlefield. You know, you want to learn how to not be in a battlefield. Or if your body is ill, then you need to work on that, don't you? If you haven't got the clothes on your back, there's not much. You know, if you haven't got food in your belly, then <coughs> practice is going to be a bit difficult. So you, you can't just ignore these things as if they're just sort of superficial. And probably less extreme, but what's often the case is we do experience sense of of some disappointment or conflict with the people we live with, or we're not doing enough, or we're not getting enough, or it's a bit too much, or we've got some confusion over this, that and the other. So you feel a little bit you know, not quite right with that. Or we feel not quite um, okay with the social um you know, with, with our, our bodies, I mean, if you, you know, we're stressed in that particular way, physical problems, you know, our basic requisites aren't there. You yeah. know, so it's something that's con, kind of concerned about just getting survival, physical survival, physical okayness for ourselves. So part of our mind, she's kind of concerned about that. What should I do? How should I make it work? And then, of course, we can feel, as we all do, some sense of um, distress over the global situation. You're all getting, you know, concern over the climate change and the global warming and the, you know, ice sheets melting and so forth. And uh, planet, planetary life maybe finishing in about 50 years' time, <laughs> which is a source of some concern. <laughs> and uh, And then you know, even perhaps more more directly, you know the wars that are going on and these uh, um, the ideologies. I was reading a few days ago that they did a survey and about only 25 percent of the population of Britain actually experienced any degree of trust of their of the of their government. <laughs> <laughs> that may be high. <laughs> so, you know, it's not that's not good, is it? You just feel so the number of people who even vote drops because there's a sense of oh what's the point, you know, one bunch of idiots or another. Doesn't you know, so this is um you know, a bit you know, feeling of powerlessness and helplessness and <laughs> You know, 60 million of us living in this little country, and we can't seem to feel a sense of, you know, we've got leadership that we feel well, they actually do effective things or things we approve of, and actually seem to do quite a few things we don't approve of. And so this naturally does all has has effects, and uh, so you try to consider all these, you you know, what. How does practice affect that? (coughs) The Buddha did address all of these areas. Yeah, both obviously predominantly, one might say the refined area of completely internal mental development, but also certainly the uh, sense of relationships, a lot of emphasis on spiritual friendship and finding suitable friends and companions and sorting out difficulties and developing goodwill um, uh, both for monastics and for lay people. And then codes of conduct, you know, how we... Ask forgiveness or um, point out uh, flaws in each other's behaviour from a place of compassion to help each other. So this sense, and then also um, more like a, a social sense, an organisational sense, which he did give advice to kings and ministers and uh, on proper proper ways of ruling a country, governing country for the welfare of everyone who lived in it. And he even set up his own kind of um, alternative, in a way, which was this, what's called the fourfold assembly, which is more like a, rather than an ethnic group or a geographical location, just a, uh, a, a, a network, which I think is very interesting. It's a fourfold network of the monks, the nuns, the laymen and laywomen. As so if you like, a kind of virtual society that is actually um, useful in that its primary bond is not one of um, holding onto territory or um, economics but values you know so it's a network of values say you know what we trade in here what we operate through what we communicate here is value systems we you know, mindfulness, or kindness, or sharing, or um, mutual respect—you know, these things—so his own kind of social form. And he said it's important to keep this thing. If you get this, and then uh, he didn't just say that um, as long as you know that the, the development or the sustaining of the Dhamma is through internal practice alone, but he did also lay down this uh, vinaya which is, some of it's about moral, personal discipline, but also it's about a sense of relationship and a sense of community, this fellowship. That And he said that once this fourfold assembly was properly established, then he felt he'd done the whole bit that he needed to do. His own awakening, teachings for one's individual development, guidance on looking after your... Your your personal needs in terms of your bodily needs, um, guidance in terms of relationship with others, and also guidance in terms of creating a kind of a a society, a social group that actually reinforces the values rather than um, gets caught up with various uh, ideologies, which is, you know, an enormously important offering to have this whole four areas of our lives covered Mm. I think this is something that we need to develop remember Mm. particularly this situation that we find ourselves globally in You know, the Last century was the century of these these three great kind of uh, um, ideologies, wasn't it? The democracy and communism and fascism—they're all sort of—and these these three ideologies clashing with each other, and every those countries went through these these clashes around these great theories of, of how do you how do you operate as a group. You know, you got this whole bunch of people. How are you gonna How are you gonna operate? You know, that's that's the fundamental question. Suddenly, you know, you you can't separate because now you can communicate, you can travel, you you can definitely f- form a nation like you couldn't do in the twelfth century because so few people and communications are so few. Suddenly, when everybody can actually connect on one point. And hear the same message and be gathered together into some kind of nation. What are you going to do with it? <laughs> There's a tremendous force of millions of people with enough, organi- with enough of an organization to make them all do the same thing or, or attempt to make them do the same thing. So suddenly, what are they going to do? You know, And uh, the thing depends on everybody working together and industrialization and so forth to keep it going. So you get this kind of tremendous sense of the the power of the state arises in these nineteenth twentieth century, and then without of what ideologies run it, um, and they all have this sense of the of national power to them, and uh, relying on often kind of vaguely on sort of you know there was always something some attractive option to it you see so communism starts off as well you know share it all out which sounds like a good idea and fascism sense of well everybody let go of your own thing and cooperate for the welfare of the of the state you know so you, you really kind of concedes to some some charismatic leader and democracy everybody votes and so on um, for the common good it 's all fair and free, and so on an, these are ideas does not quite work out like that <laughs> yeah. and uh, it wasn't such an easy thing I think every although you know fascism most people associate with the thing that took over in Germany is actually. Hungary, Italy, Germany, Spain. It was a fascist party in Britain. And South Africa was pretty much a fascist country for uh, many years. It always depends upon, you know, emphasising one ethnic group. And there's a lot of, uh, with all these ideologies, a lot of fear and resentment in them. So in fascism, you you have a sense of fear of the others, and you resent these others. So you find some ethnic group you don't like. And dump all the blame on them. You, know, and you can still it's coming up again, isn't it? It's still happening. Now we've got the kind of people keep Britain for the British, whoever they are. <laughs> you know, keep out these Poles and Romanians and <laughs> as if somehow there's something British, you know, that we are. I mean, most of us are kind of mongrels of one kind or another. <laughs> The purity of the, the purity of the blood. <laughs> yeah. So it's kind of then sort of fear and resentment. And you see the same though eventually you know, people tend to feel well democracy the better one, we see naturally the same sort of patterns happening, fear and resentment. So now we've got to kind of beat everybody up until they become dem- democratic. Beat up the Arabs, they become democratic. Beat up Africa till it becomes democratic. (laughs) Drop bombs on someone until they they see the goodness of democracy. (laughs) It's the same old story, isn't it? I mean, when you're in it, you don't quite see it. And yet, there's uh, um, the language is seductive, and yet the, the same sort of emotions occur about how we're you know, we we got the right thing, and this is the only right thing. And everybody else has got to do it, otherwise they're wrong. And we see the flaws in everybody else, and then you you can justify killing and war and violence and tyranny and taking over and doing nasty things to people. And this sense of fear, and the more you get fear, the more the people look, live under the sense of fear. Then we we give up our own our own freedoms. And so it's happening. <laughs> more in the west now isn't it you get the sense of because there's all these terrorists around and we got more frightened so this means we'll have to accept more authority from the state to control us and we might have to do a few nasty things we regret unfortunately never mind you know it's all because of the fear and the terror and the panic and the emergency that we're in so you give people that message and they go all right (laughs) <laughs> That's the way it works, so it's more—it's a very similar kind of psychology that occurs, and it's always this uh, monolithic authority thing. And you get the same thing with religions too, don't you? You know, uh, monotheism when it's held in the wrong way—we're the only right ones—and you've got. To, Beat up everybody else because they're evil or corrupt or satanic or demonic or possessed or something nasty. So that means, unfortunately, we have to beat them up and torture them and burn them and kill them for their own good, so that the pure and the right and the clean and the godly and the divine and the will be okay. You know, it's <laughs> kind of you know you can see the narrowing of the human mind to to take on these kinds of um, terrible. Monolithic, monologic ideologies, and they are monologues because what happens is people always, once you get to that state, then you don't ever listen to the other side. It's a complete monologue. You don't actually listen to the other person's point of view, and this is the kind of, um, you know, where you really see how how the you know works. This kind of monologuing starts in one's own mind, <laughs> affects one's relationships to other people, becomes almost a, a, a something that takes off as a corporate activity. Yeah. So it's the bit, the monologuing, the the inability to, to entertain oh, other viewpoints or to listen or to you know, to, to let go of a view, to let go of this piece of selfhood. You know, <coughs> it's something it kind of operates on all levels as the kind of fundamental stupefication of human beings. With a fear and the insecurity, what might happen if we came out of our box? We let go of our little patch, you know, a piece of authority or control. You know, how how dreadful that is because once when we do that we're unable to really be open minded, generous, loving, and to really enjoy the uh well, the varieties of people and views and feelings and states that there are, you know. One of favourites or a favourite story I have is of this uh all these kind of fundamentalist Christian groups up in I don't want to make a thing about Christianity particularly, but it just happens to be a Christian group. Fundamentalism affects every every religion. This one a particularly humorous one. Of uh this they this um I think they were Plymouth Brethren. And they had a a lot of them live up in a town called Peter's Head, up in Scotland. And this was this was a few years ago. And they were the, so they're very, very strict. You know, like you don't you don't marry non definitely don't marry non Plymouth brethren. You don't deal with non people of the non Plymouth brethren. You know, so you very kind of enclosed, our little group. You know, it's kind of like a, yeah. And uh, every other religion, of course, is completely unspeakable. Even though the other form of Christianity is totally out, you know, defiled, satanic, with this, this kind of pure thing, this idea of purity, <laughs> what that does to the mind. <laughs> so, you know, some woman wore lipstick, she'd be called a Jezebel, would be burning in hell for an eon because of wearing lipstick, or you weren't allowed to, you know, smile on the Sunday or something, you know, he's kind and anyway, once, once one half of this group, the started to get a little bit looser, like they started to do things like talk on Sundays or something, you know, a bit new agey. <laughs> so it was a split between the old unreformed old group and the and then this they, they decided that they, they, they'd form a, a reformed group who were a bit tighter, who tightened up. So they got so they became Tighter, so they decided they weren't going to no longer fraternise with the old Plymouth brethren. So the new new group weren't going to fraternise with the old group. It was kind of difficult. I Means you couldn't go shopping. You couldn't go into a shop owned by somebody of the other particular group. And they found out, uh, unfortunately, because it's a fishing town. You see, often they, they they'd own a fishing boat, and it'd be like if you have to be owned by a corporation of twenty or thirty people. So there'd be these two different kinds of Plymouth brethren stuck out on a boat together in the sea. So that uh, what are gonna do with this? Because they weren't they couldn't eat together. So because there was only, you know, only one galley. So one group decided they put what they do at the meal times, they put towels over their head <laughs> the meal times, See, see you could eat under your towel. <laughs> see you weren't eating with these other people of the <laughs> the group. <laughs> that is wonderful, isn't it? <laughs> just how stupid people can be. Because <laughs> this happens in monasteries too. You know. <laughs> you know, you get different sects in just the which I'm not you think about Christianity in particular. You get different Nikayas and different sects. In even Theravada Buddhism alone, those Mahayanists who we definitely kind of get quite sniffy about. You know, they're completely out of off the pale. Out of the pale, anyway. Uh, but then, even the Theravadas, you get the people of different lineages, and you know, and then they, and you get in in. Uh, so you get in. Dhamma-yut and Mahanikai, so if you're a Dhamma-yut monk, you can't really have a meal with the Mahanikai monks because they're not pure enough. So if somebody offers food to a Mahanikai monk, then the dhamma Yut monk can't touch it, he has to have it re-offered. So this kind of thing goes on. and uh, <laughs> So this sense of, of uh, purity and uh, it occurs around small de- details I think one one of the monks who lived in Sri Lanka was saying, you know, you, from one monastery you go to you have to have this kind of colour umbrella but if you, as you walk, you go to another monastery and that kind of colour umbrella is completely out <laughs> that is unspeakable, the wrong colour you're going to have the right colour umbrella you know, or the right style of robes or, you know some places you, you must take your sandals off when you come into the temple. Other places you must put them on when you come into the temple. And they're both justifiable. You know, you put them on so your dirty feet, your low, coarse, fleshy feet, don't touch the sacred ground. Which sounds sensible. But then, other people think when well, you take them off, so the dirt on your boots don't go onto the temple floor. So that's sensible too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So these are the kind of things that, that human beings get stuck in. Uh, yeah. So which is right. Shoes off, shoes on. You can't have one on one on one foot <laughs> compromise. It's that's the way one of the way of looking at it, isn't it? Hop around one foot or the other. <laughs> Uh, I remember when I in my youth and then we, there was very much I think there quite a lot of people doing the youth I forget the whole thing the whole rules thing is just crazy just be be here now be where you are so work from there I remember reading this um, book called Be Here Now by Ramdas, which was it was about his time in India, and just be here now. Be here now. That was such a great phrase, just be here now. You know, whatever you're doing, just be be here. Stop the thinking about the future, the past. Just be, be here now. And that was, and that, was really that. And Alan Watts also was very much just live in the moment kind of thing. But what sometimes these these wonderful, quite inspiring ideas didn't take into account was that. You know, Ram Das when he was being here now, was actually living under a kind of discipline of um, you know fasting and living in as a sannyasin in India. So you do be here now when you're smoking marijuana and taking LSD, and, and it isn't quite the same here and now <laughs> as when you're living under a spiritual discipline. <laughs> so it's a it's a kind of sense in which one can easily just end up with using a, a kind of a uh, something that's got a nice kind of very open quality to it and an all-embracing quality to it without recognising, yeah, but there's also a sense of what's a suitable organisation what's a suitable structure to hold that in and how do these two work together how do our sense of structuring, you know, our own lives and how we relate to other people and how, what work we do and so forth and how, is that, how do we keep infusing that with a real sense of something that's spiritual you yeah. Hmm. And I uh, think, kind of, even something like, uh, and the Buddha really placed it on, on this essential understanding of karma, cause and effect. Cause and effect, cause and effect. And not just cause and effect, like you drop a rock and it hits the ground, but, but the ethical quality of what one's doing. The ethical quality is karma. It means if you're acting from a mean place, or a fearful place, or a restricted place, or a uh, frightened place, not necessarily you're deliberately doing harm, but you're in a bad state, you're depressed, you're you're upset, and you're actually coming, your mental states, your actions are coming from that place, then you get results of that. And those results tend to. Will give you feedback. You get, you know, both immediate feedback and also long-term feedback. And, you, and maybe you, um, you know, you, you don't get good friends, or you develop bad habits. What's something you do repeatedly eventually becomes a habit of mind. So a particular mode of of depression or fearfulness or domineering or whatever it is, you keep acting upon it then that becomes the bent of your mind and that then runs through everything that you do and tends to affect you know your internal realm and your external realms all of it yeah. so and this is kind of base understanding base law cause and effect so and you can sort of see how particularly when you look at tabloid newspapers have a quite coarse sense of prejudice and hatred and resentment and greed you know fairly easily you know dolloped up as this is what this is what we do isn't it this is what we follow <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, and that just that kind of message coming this is the norm this is this is the way people behave this is the norm it's really important to get this sense of some kind of network or fellowship, which is what the fourfold assembly is about, that says, No, we don't do that. We don't, you know. I know people who don't do that. I belong to something that doesn't do that. So you've got some way of of checking, because if you pick up, if you're in an environment, you pick up the mood of that environment, then again that very much affects your own mind. So cause and effect also means that whatever. The effect of living in this situation tends to trigger off certain impulses in your own mind. It's natural. It's not because you're a particular kind of person. You know, where we learn as human beings, we learn when we're little tots. You learn from what everybody else is doing. That's the norm, isn't it? What your little, what your group is doing. That's what you learn. You learn some things in books, but mostly you learn about what your mum, dad, brother, friends—they're doing. That's what you do. Or you you do something in relationship to that. That's the baseline. So that, there's an effect, you know. and the effect triggers off causes. It means because of inheriting all that, being in all that, then I do the same kind of things. A lot. I mean, I vaguely remember a lot of the time I just deliberately say things that my dad had said. I didn't know what they meant. I just say them because it's my dad said them, or my elder brother said them. So these are the big guys. You say what they say. Some of you say some rather unfortunate things. They they said, you know, (laughs) know, saying some swear word or something. You You don't know what it means, but you just heard it, so you just babble it out. (laughs) So that, that, that means, you know, there's an effect you pick up, you act upon it, and even though, you know, you start to establish particular habits dependent upon the the society that you're in. Well, This is really important to, to recognise, how the, the external world becomes internalised and your internal world becomes externalised. The two are not separable. So once you begin to get that sense, then, you know, you really realise there's a kind of main point here is that whatever... The effects whatever the situation one is in you've got to look at what choices you have in terms of do you dismiss do you just get depressed do you shrug it off do you think oh it's those people over there the bad guys serve them right who cares you know whatever do you think, what does that feel like you know or is there something better that you can one can bring forth? I think one of the real uh, problems of the the, the, the domini- domi- domination of the state is that we tend to feel it's up to, you know, the world leaders do it all. You know, and we can't do anything. You know, you get these big guys, presidents and prime ministers and kings and... Queens and so on—they do it all, and the rest of us just sit here and twiddle our thumbs. And that's very much the the sense, because of why so few few people only bother to vote There's a feeling of well, they're going to do—they do what they like anyway. You know? So I think one of the effects you get is a sense of of um, powerlessness, impotence, and frustration because of that. I think it's really, it was really heartening to recognise how in, you know, in quite notable um, situations, it's actually people can rise up beyond their, their governments, their states. I think one of the things, the only good thing that came out of the tsunami incident was the fact that actually people, ordinary individual people, by themselves without any prompting. Immediately started to, to offer, and make donations and help out before their governments actually got mobilized and, and offered much more than, the, than their governments did. You know, so there's a sense in which there's a, there's a reaching out to people in Indonesia, Sri Lanka, Thailand, and so forth, who you don't really know, not of the same ethnic group, whatever, but you just suddenly realize a fellow human being. And one does the mind does reach out and people can do that, and suddenly there's this enormous global effect. Enormous global effect. And uh you know, so it's not it's we tend to kind of give it up because we we get l- doped into feeling that we are impotent by by the, the, the effect of being in these Super states, you know, we really, you know, these, these super authoritarian states that we're in, which all of us are in, under one color or another. Another mm-hmm. uh, interesting thing was those um, um, music concerts, you know, people raise millions, uh, comedy. Comic relief, things like that. I mean, you realise people can actually act, and they're acting right across the the board in non-ideological, non-ethnic ways. Just the human suffering, human pain, sense of wanting to share, sense of generosity, a sense of yes, I can do something. You know, my ten quid, five quid, whatever can do something, and that's that's really good to to acknowledge that. See that we and suddenly. There is, and we do, and something does happen. And I think this is really important to, to recognize how the, the value system kind of gets neglected, and yet it's always there. The very fundamental thing about human beings. This is, non, this is not a religious belief, it's just the fundamental fact of human mind. And it's being, you know, so, so even as a Buddhist, you're not really a Buddhist, it's not. It's not some kind of religious group, is it? I hope not. Anyway, it's essentially just. um you know, the Buddha didn't use the word. He used Dhamma Vinaya. You know, you really get a sense of there's a training, a focus, an organisational sense. It's not just a kind of disembodied, you know, spontaneous. Awareness of things is actually a focused, functioning, organizational thing that makes choices and decisions and acts as that. And there is always this sense of, of we act from the purest place that we have available. We keep checking out the purity of that. That's the dumber bit of it. You keep acknowledging and checking out the, the purity and then you act. And that's the vinya bit of it. That's the organizational discipline bit of it. And that's it, really. you know the Buddhist teaching is nothing more than nothing less than that, and it's all the skillful means that you can apply to make that happen and I think it certainly goes starts to go wrong once we once we call it and limit it, we call it Buddhism, so you know it becomes then a religion becomes a culture, so you can see also you know rather distressing news, you find out there's Buddhist monks in Sri Lanka forming political parties and actually committing acts of violence against non-Buddhist because the Buddhism become a kind of cultural thing, rather than you know actually carrying out this uh, immediate and intimate and conscientious training on oneself being prepared to to Bring your own purity into action. And that's really our chance, our opportunity as, as human beings. We can pick up some of these tools and trainings, and you can pick up other ones, you know. You see that the Buddha's training was really trying to cover the whole bit, you know, from right view, understanding of cause and effect, ethical cause and effect, right view. Right intention. You begin to resolve and make an aim to go in this particular direction, and you follow it through speech, action, livelihood, and then you refine it down to the act of purifying the mind, effort, and mindfulness and concentration. So you, you know, it's continually moving through the through internal to the external domain in the whole scope of one's life. So then, when we come to a, uh, sometimes just daily recollections, you know, or you come to particular sticking places in your in your life, like what do I do now? You know, suddenly there's a bereavement experience, or a death experience, or your own health is on the line, or your your economic situation goes pear-shaped or whatever happens what do you do now Mm. purify the mind you go back to that and what kind of how can I actually work with what I'm inheriting what I'm picking up now how can I operate without fear without meanness without bitterness Mm. without greed and then you just sort of build it up from there um Because this is, in fact, uh, what we live within. The rest of this is actually very much uh, a changing and unreliable um, situation. We live essentially within our karma. That's what we live with, that's what we die with, that's what catches our hearts. So this is uh, the thing to keep coming back to remembering, recollecting. And not just to see it's just the purely on the cushion experience, but something that you you try to notice yeah. when you hear news, when you hear propaganda, when you hear media reports just what's what's happening to your mind, what are you being pushed into what are you accepting as truth mm-hmm. when you feel something that makes you feel a sense of oh it's is all hopeless and give up, you know, is that, is that good, does that make you feel good, is that right? Or when you get the sense of, you've got to be frightened of everybody, you know, other people, does that make you feel good? Is that good karma? Is that, do you feel the real good energy coming through your mind with that? Or you recognise, well, you know, maybe I'm going to get blown to bits tomorrow. <laughs> but that's, That could happen anyway, you know so why, don't you, why do, I, do I have to live in a sense of fear and, and, um, and mistrust today because of that or do you sense of well you know you do what's conscientious and skillful and prudent and you keep your own purity <coughs> and then you know that's what we can do and there's essentially there's a huge effect of that when people don't pick up they kind of get into the mass hysteria there has been the the terrible story of this centuries, isn't it? Suddenly, so gets whipped up into hating this particular group, this religious group, or this national group, or this ethnic group, or something or the other. So everybody believes it, and we all go into the to this uh, dreadful, fearful, revengeful, aggressive state. Mm. So when we come to the the new year, then it's a chance to begin to draw the line the, you know, impurity, purity sounds such a sounds such a kind of sterile and uh, slightly toffee nose word, but is the mind cramped? Is it tight? is it is it shaky? Is it stable? Is it regretful? Is it wounded? Is it aggressive? Does it have ill will in it? You know, is it confident? And then we just kind of contemplate where the areas where we feel it's not steady, it's not strong, it's not happy, it's not easeful, it's not clear. Then what can we do to, to purify that in the terms of how our internal development, how we relate to other people, how we relate to our own needs for requisites, how we relate to our place in the society. How we form and organize ourselves as as human beings. Mm. Kind of let go of some of the don't want to bother attitudes that come into my mind. Mm. I'm alright, why bother? (laughs) Doesn't feel very good either, does it? (laughs) And then, well, why don't we bother? A little bit of bother, you know? Like you know you've got five quids worth of bother rather you don't have to spend a million but you just go you little five five quids worth of one I'll put this much in a little bit a little bit a little bit you know everybody gives a little bit that's the principle then you get the corporate effect and we can all appreciate that so offer this for your reflection